Hey, thank you so much. You all can have a seat. Yeah, we can thank our worship team one more time this morning. Amen. All right, well, if you've never met me before, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the chapel, and so excited that you're here with us this morning. If you're a guest with us for the first time, special welcome to you. We're glad that you are here. And <clears throat> excuse me, before we jump into today's message, I want to let you know about a few important things. One is we have a meet and greet coming up where you get a chance to meet our team, some of our staff. And so, again, if you are here for the first time, maybe you started coming at Easter and you're still checking things out. Maybe it's been quite a while since you've been back. One, we're, we're so happy that you're here. We would love to know a little bit about you so you, we can let you know a little bit about us. One of the ways to do that is out in the atrium today. You'll see right across from the worship center here a sign that has this meet and greet logo on it. Stacy will be there. Um, she has some guest bags. If you're a guest, you've never gotten one of those, please get one. They have some really great stuff in there, a lot of information about who we are. But it's also going to give you an opportunity to know about when our, our, we're calling it our second glance, where you can come and actually sit with some of our staff and our pastors and get to know a little bit about us, again, know about the church, what we do, why we exist. So we would love for you to come and be a part of that. Again, all you have to do right after the service out in the atrium where you see this graphic, stop over there, and we'll give you more information. The other, the other thing is that we have baptism services coming up. And throughout the New Testament, we see that baptism is a couple things. One, it's, it's, just, it's just what you do as a Jesus follower. Uh, we are called, we are commanded in Scripture um, to, to be baptized. So we want to do that as Christ followers as a, as a way of following what Jesus has called us to do. It is a public display of an inward decision that, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm following Jesus now. So if, if you've been to one of our baptism services, you've seen how incredible they can be, you've heard the stories, if you would like to be a part of that, Immediately after this service, over in the Chapel 2 room, C2 room, which if you just go out the worship center, you go down the hallway to the left, you'll see it down there. We're going to have a short information meeting, about 15, 20 minutes, so that we can tell you about what baptism is and what baptism isn't. And if you go, it doesn't mean you have to get baptized. You can just go. You might say, you know what, this isn't where I am in my journey. Uh, or you might say, you know what, this is, yes, my step, and we'll give you all the information that you need to do that. If you have, so that's for high school and on up. If you have a middle schooler or younger, uh, there is going to be an information meeting for them right after this service upstairs in the, in the student center, and they'll, do the, they'll give you the same information about that. So parents, if you have young ones, you'll want to take them up there. If you are in high school or older, you'll want to go to the chapel two room, C2 room. And then last announcement is we have a Celebrate Calm parenting seminar coming up. This is something we're going to be able to offer for free, which is great. It's going to be on Monday, May 1st from 6 to 8, covering a lot of different things. It says you'll, you'll stop the tantrums, whining, and meltdowns. I don't know if that's the parents or the kids. You're going to help somebody, right? You're going to learn 15 practical strategies to help you to, be, to, to, be a call, to have a, an atmosphere of calm parenting instead of reactionary parenting. We want to help you with that. So a lot of great opportunities. If you have questions about this, all of it is in the worship program this morning. Um, feel free to stop at the Welcome Center, talk to me, um, go to the meet and greet table. We'll, we'll give you all of the information that you need. Uh, this morning, we are continuing our series that Pastor Charles kicked off last week in the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John. It's one of the first books of the Bible that I, that I, that I read through. And, and one of the questions that we're going to wrestle with today, 
is probably the most important, I'm not going to say probably, it is the most important question that you can answer, and that is, who is Jesus? Now, if you go and ask 100 people this question, you might get dozens of different answers. And even when you ask Christ followers, you ask Christians about what they believe about Jesus, the answers all vary from who he is to what he does. Uh, maybe your, your idea of who Jesus is is based on uh, your childhood, your view of the Bible, your view of other religions, your view of culture, church experience. Maybe you, had, uh, maybe you were raised and, you know, your parents lovingly shared the Bible or, you know, and shared Jesus. Or you were raised, you know, in a situation where it's like, you better believe, you know. So maybe you're not all that excited about answering this question. What's interesting about, and so all of these results believe, cause, or have, all of these result in people believing different things about Jesus. And what's interesting about these results is that everyone is making assumptions about Jesus based on their own perspective. Now, whether that's good or bad, here's the problem is that we don't get to decide who someone is based upon our opinion of them. Have you ever judged a person based on their looks or your first impression of them only to find out you were wrong, whether good or bad? I know I have. I mean, I'll just say that most people don't look at me and automatically conclude I'm a pastor. Yeah, they probably, they're like, okay, are you like a biker or a musician or an inmate or a <laughs> musician inmate, a biker musician or whatever, you know? Um, let me ask you this. Have you ever assumed a woman was pregnant? I'm just going to give you some wise advice. Unless she is in labor, never assume that a woman is pregnant. I was in line at the grocery store one time, and the cashier asked the lady in front of me when her baby was due, and uh, it was not, all right? She was not pregnant. It was very, very awkward. So all that to say is we can't decide who a person is based upon the conclusions that we make with limited information, and we certainly don't get to decide who God is. And so I would say this question of who is Jesus is sort of flawed, because when we ask the question, who's Jesus, we, we can't begin with who we think he is or who we want him to be or who we don't want him to be. We don't get to decide that. A better question to ask is, who does Jesus say he is? And then based upon this, based upon how he makes himself known, we can either accept that or reject that. But we have to let him make himself known to us through his word. And so the, the disciple John recorded his own description uh, recorded God's own description of who God was in the very beginning. And we went over, Sonia read those verses during the worship set, those verses 1 through 18, really powerful about God describing who he was. And, and he starts off, John writes, refers to God as the word. All right, now this word in the Greek language was the word logos. And it's a Greek term that was used by ph philosophers of this foundational principle or force that undergirded everything. The Greeks believed that there was a foundational energy or force that kept all of the universe in order and functioning. And here we, seeing, we see John claiming that that foundational logos or structure or order of the universe was actually a person. Right? He's saying, yes, there is this thing called the logos, and this logos had, had feet and a belly button. All right? Now, John is claiming that Jesus was this Logos, or that he was God, that he was what created and sustained everything. Now, to the Greek readers, the idea of the Logos being human was just crazy. 
And to the Jewish readers, to say this man, Jesus was God, was blasphemy. That was wrong. So John makes it clear that this Jesus was not just a man, that he was the eternal son of God. But not only that he is the logos, the sustainer of the universe, but he, but he is also the creator because when John says that, in, that the word was in the beginning, he's referring to the very first sentence of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created. John is making this incredible claim that the word that became human, this God that became human, is the eternal word that was with God in the beginning. And then John sets up the stage for the incredible drama of this word becoming a person. And I love the way Andreas Kosenberger says, in Jesus, God has come to take up residence among his people once again, in a way even more intimate than when he, than when he dwelt in the midst of wilderness Israel in the, in the tabernacle. Moses met God and heard his word in the tent of meeting. Now people may meet God and hear from him in the flesh of Jesus. So Jesus was God making himself known to us in the, most, in the closest way possible. Jesus is the fullest revelation of the character of God. So all of that to say that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks, how God feels, how God acts, look at Jesus. Look what was written about Jesus, what he said and what he did, what he didn't say, what he didn't do. So Jesus was not just a great man or a moral character, because if you ask people who Jesus is, a lot of them will say that. He's a great teacher. He was an example. Uh, and, and really, when you believe that, because that seems pretty, pretty inept, like when you, when you believe that, what you're actually doing is just politely rejecting him for who he says he is. It's a really polite way to not accept that Jesus is God. Jesus came to display God's mercy, love, his faithfulness, and his forgiveness. Jesus is this word. Jesus is God. So the first answer to your question, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. The next thing that John says about Jesus is that Jesus is also life. He said the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. You see, as creator... Jesus, God, gave life to our physical bodies. As the eternal God, he is the source of life in all creation. Jesus is the source and sustainer of life. And, he, and not only that, but Jesus has come to show us what life is, to redefine it. Because, you know, you may be going through your life and you might be saying, like, look, I don't know what the meaning of life is. I don't know what life is supposed to look like, but this ain't it. This is not good. Because Jesus said in John 10.10 that the thief, which could be a lot of different things. Some people think that's that's the enemy, that's Satan. It could be a sin. It could be a lot of different things. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. And you might be sitting here thinking and be like, I don't have life abundantly. Jesus is the word, Jesus is life, and Jesus is also light. 
John continues talking about Jesus as light. He says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. How is Jesus the light of the world? Well, here John means the light of creation, shining in human conscience, what we understand in our natural order, which, which we see as common grace, all right? Because in a broken world, and our world is broken, and I think unlike, unless you're delusional, you, you probably believe that, we still experience good things in our world. We still have laughter, love, birth, kindness, smiles, music, blessing, sunshine, chicken wings, new shoes. There's a lot of good still in our world. And he says that the darkness of evil, the darkness of evil has not and has never will overcome it. It will never extinguish it. Though our world has been damaged, and it has been damaged by our fault, human rebellion, and it has been growing in darkness, our world has not been destroyed, and that darkness has not overcome the light. You know, in our physical world, life is totally dependent upon Life is totally dependent upon light. If there is no light, if there is no sun, there is no life, right? If we got rid of the sun, all the vegetation would be gone. And you might say, that's all right, I'm a carnivore. Well, the cows eat grass, okay? And so if there's no grass, there's no cows, and you're going to be hungry. So, So life requires light, and John is transferring that same principle into the spiritual world because we all experience spiritual darkness, Sin turns us all into citizens of the dark. Sin causes us to be committed to living in the shadows. And that word sin, again, could probably be defined quite a few different ways by different people. But sin is anything that is, that is against what God has said is best for us in his word. You know, sin is actually a heart issue that causes us to want to be the gods of our own life. To say to this creator God, look, God, I know you created me. I know you're sustaining of all things, but you can go and kick rocks. I want to be in control, right? And that heart issue, that attitude results in behaviors that we would call sins, right? Now, we all think, oh, what is sin? Well, it's don't, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around with girls who do. That's like our definition of sin, right? But, that, but sin could be so many things, right? If your work is your life, and it causes destruction in your life, and, and separates you from your family, that could be sin, right? And, and we all have these things in our life, and what do we do? We try to hide it, right? Because sin loves the darkness. Sin is afraid of being exposed. So sin causes us to be committed to living in the shadows, right? Maybe it's, you know, you're not going through my phone, right? You can't look at my browser, it's not your business what I was talking about. You know, I was just out with my friends. It doesn't matter where we went. A lot of different things, right? So we hide, we deny, we blame shift, we justify, we defend. These are all acts of darkness by people who fear being exposed. But later in John's gospel, in chapter 3, he writes this. God's light came to the world. He says, but people love the darkness more than the light because their actions were evil. So again, people in, in hiding. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This passage is about a light coming into our world that has been covered in darkness. Under the, under the burden of sin, of rebellion, 
This world has become a dark place. And in the darkness of immorality and injustice and violence, greed, self-righteousness, racism, and a million other evils, the world, this is a world that is desperate for life, for light. And, and, and we are all part of the problem, yet we are powerless to fix it. So God's solution was the only solution possible, that sending light through his son was the only way. He came into the darkness so that we could know light and life forever. The God of grace shines the light of grace into the darkest parts of our heart, not as punishment, but as delivering grace. Because in the light of God, in the light of God's word, when I read scripture, when I read who Jesus was, I mean, if you read the Ten Commandments, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. None of us are living perfectly. The light has come, and so my encouragement is to run to it, not away from it. Because, yes, this light, Jesus' life, his words will expose the sin and the darkness in your life. But whatever he exposes, he's already forgiven. And only God can do this. Which is why it's important to understand and believe that Jesus is God. Because maybe you've wrestled with that question. Maybe you said, why is it so important to believe in Je- that Jesus is God? Why can't I just believe that he was a good person? Why can't I live my life just based on some of his teachings? Well, because Jesus claimed to be God several, many times. We see this throughout the Gospel of John. right? And so if somebody claims to be God... I mean, if I stand up here and tell you that I am God, first of all, y'all need to find a new church. Second, it's like, well, you better do something to back that up, right? So lots of people have claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God, nothing new. But he backed it up because he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. Then the last week of his life, marched into Jerusalem and pulled it off. He was alive. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go with what that guy says. Because that proves that he is God. You know, if, God, if Jesus is not God, that's a problem. Because if Jesus claimed to be God and he wasn't, well, then he's either a liar or he's crazy. And do you really want to spend the, your entire life following somebody who is a liar or who's, who's crazy? I mean, how blind and foolish it is to call Jesus nothing more than an unusually good man or a moral, moral teacher. But I'll be honest... Sometimes we act if that were true when we casually toss around his words and go about living our own way. Speaking to followers of Jesus here, Christians, a lot of times we don't see Jesus as God when we like to pick and choose which of his commands or truths we follow or believe in. Right? We, we say, okay, Jesus, yeah, I know you're God, and I know you're my Savior, and all these things, but man, I just really disagree with this thing about money, or this thing about loving your enemies, or all of this. I love in the Gospels where, uh, you know, Jesus appears to the twelve after, after he was crucified and he was resurrected, and the, and, or he re- appears to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. I call him Doubting Thomas. He says, look, until I see the holes in his hands and the cut in his side where they shove the spear, I'm not going to believe. But then Jesus, out of his grace, appears to Thomas, and he sees the holes, and he sees the cut. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now, I don't think Thomas is being redundant. I think he's saying two separate things. I think he's saying, one, yes, you are God. You are my Savior. But he's also saying, Lord, as in, you know what? I don't have any claim on my life anymore. You're in charge. You're the boss. 
What you say goes. Even if I don't like it, even if I disagree with it, then I'm wrong, Jesus is right. Now, this doesn't apply to everyone because if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then you don't really have a logical reason to ever follow his commands or believe what he says. But to those who believe, we have a unique relationship with God. We're going to find out in a second that, that we relate to him as his children. And, and if God is our father and he loves us and he knows what's best for us, then it would make sense that we follow him. Because through Jesus Christ, God began a new chapter of humanity, and he created a new family. It's very popular saying to say that, hey, we're all God's children, right? It's inclusive. It sounds good. It makes sense on the surface. It's not true. It's not true. Because, because here, here's what is true, is that we are all God's creation. We, are refl- we reflect his image, and we are valuable and loved, But not all humans are God's children. Jesus said this very clearly. He said, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but in a birth that comes from God. When you receive Jesus, you are born of God and become a child of God. Being a child of God means that we have been born into God's family. We become God's children through faith in Jesus Christ, which results in spiritual rebirth, spiritual birth. You know, being born makes you physically alive and places you in your, in your parents' family. Being born of God makes you spiritually alive and places you in God's family. So you might be sitting here saying, like, all right, sounds good. How do I become a child of God? Here's how you become a child of God, where it says, to those who believed and accepted him, right? You believe and accept Jesus. You have to be willing to give your life to him, to let go of the steering wheel, to give him the reins, to let go of control, to, to, to give him access, to believe in him with your heart, which sounds weird, right? Because we don't believe with our heart, we believe with our head. But in Romans 10, 9, it says that if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in your heart means that you believe in a way that changes your life. I mean, I believe in Abraham Lincoln, but I don't have a what would Abe do bracelet. Abraham Lincoln does not change how I live my life because Abraham Lincoln is not God. The other thing is that Abraham, I can't know Abraham Lincoln because he's dead, but I can know Jesus because he is resurrected. There's a difference. It's when you place your faith and your trust in him. And that word faith, you could probably get a lot of definitions. And I love this example, and I'm sorry because I've used it a lot of times. It's the best way I can think to, to, to summarize this. Faith is like going skydiving. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone skydiving, or if you would. I will. We'll go together. I would love to. All right? But if you're skydiving, and you're sitting on the plane, and you have your parachute on, and I say, hey, do you have faith in your parachute that it's going to open? And you say, yes. Like, do you believe in your parachute with all of your heart? Yes. Do you trust in your parachute? Yes. All right, it's time to jump. Nope. Do you really believe? No. You believe when you jump. You believe in Jesus when you live your life based upon the truth that he is God. So when he calls you to do something that you may not understand or that you may be scared of and you may disagree with, you do it anyway. That's what it means to accept Jesus. So the question now is, will you accept him? 
Because when you do, he gives you the right to becoming God's child simply through faith. And that has a lot of implications, but one of them is this, and it results in a changed life. John writes later in, in John 3, 9 through 10, it says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Those who are, who are truly children of God trust their father and desire to live according to his word. And I love that he closes that with saying, uh, and, and does not love other believers. So a litmus test for the reality of your faith in Jesus is, do you love other believers? Or do you just tolerate them? After all, why wouldn't we trust God? Why wouldn't we follow what he has to say? If he loves us, he's created us, and he knows what's best for us, it would make sense to obey what he says if we trust him. So how do we trust Jesus? First John, sorry, John 1, 35 through 39. So the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples now, this is a different John from the John who wrote this book. This is John the Baptist. John, they were big fans of the name John back then, all right? A lot of Johns. So the following day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, I'll just add this in there, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and, and saw them following and said, what do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. So a couple things I want to point on. One, John refers to Jesus. John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And we learned through the Good Friday and Easter celebration that in the, in the, in the, in the old Jewish system, the Israelites, they had to sacrifice animals over and over and over again, year after year, month after month, because they needed to pay the cost, the penalty of their sins so that they could be forgiven. But we understand that God came as Jesus being the perfect lamb, covering the being the sacrifice for all sins once and for all. And when the disciples heard that, they wanted to follow him. So they follow him when they hear about him. And that's still the same today. When you hear about Jesus, now you have a chance. Now you have a decision. Do you want to follow him? And not only did they follow Jesus, but they left John the Baptist. Because they had been following John the Baptist in some capacity for some amount of time. But they left him to follow Jesus. Over and over in the New Testament, the disciples walked away from everything to follow Jesus. They walked away from everything to follow Jesus. And so my question is, Will you, will you let go of everything to follow Jesus? Or, or are you in this situation in life where you're like, look, I want enough Jesus because I want my kids to turn out right. I want us to go to church. I want us to have some values. I want that much Jesus. But I'm not really willing to walk away from these things that I still hold near and dear to my heart, that even though they're causing destruction in my life. Are you willing to walk away? Are there some things in your life that you need to walk away from? And then Jesus says to them, hey, what do you want? Because I think we all come to Jesus needing something, right? Whether it's you've got death, illness, loss, addiction in your life. I came to Jesus at the bottom, at rock bottom, all right? And I needed something. Jesus said, what do you want? I said, Jesus, you need to take away this drinking problem. And he did it. 
Because Jesus said this. He said, come and see. He said, to his, he said to, the, to the disciples, come and see. Jesus wanted to show them something. He wanted them to experience something. He wanted them to follow something. He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them what time they would be back. He didn't say, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. Here's what time you'll be back. No, he just said, let's go. Follow me. It took, they needed to have faith. And, and, and Jesus calls us to do the same, to follow him to an adventure, to a new life. But we're standing there saying, well, is it going to be safe? I didn't say it was going to be safe. Is it going to be easy? Oh, I didn't say that either. But it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. For the Christian, for the believer, let this passage to come and see draw you into spending time watching, learning, and seeing Jesus in new ways through his word. And trusting in him and following him in the, in the areas of your life where, let's be honest, you, you're really afraid that Jesus is going to ask you to walk away from this. And in doing that, to be set upon a new path of following Jesus. And use this also as a challenge to deal with anything in your life that could keep you from coming and seeing. What or who haven't you walked away from in order to follow Jesus? And if you're here and you are just checking this whole Jesus thing out and you're not sure and you've got a lot of questions and you wouldn't say that you're a believer, again, you belong here. This is a church for you. We want you to come and wrestle through your questions and your doubts. But Jesus is inviting seekers, seekers looking for God. Because maybe you believe there's a God, but you just haven't figured out who that is. Seekers looking for light, because maybe if you're honest, there's a lot of darkness in your life and maybe that's why you're here. And seekers looking for life because, again, you might be saying, look, I'm living, but this does not feel like life. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, look, either believe in me now or go away. No, he says he invites them to follow him, to, to, to come and see. So for you, what does your come and see look like? I don't know. Maybe your come and see, maybe your next step in following Jesus is to get baptized. And maybe you... Maybe you're just, maybe that strikes fear into your heart, right? And that could very well be the thing that Jesus is calling to you, you too. Maybe, you're, maybe your next step, your next come and see, your next step in following Jesus is to go to a meet and greet and learn more about this church and, and actually get plugged in. Maybe to start reading the Bible. Maybe to take advantage of some of the, the resources that we have. I don't know what it looks like for you. Or maybe your next step is to just deal with some of the darkness in your life. Some of the things that you've just been holding on to and you're afraid to walk away from. And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to say this prayer from George Matheson. I don't, and if this is true for you, I just want you to say it along with me. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. And if you direct these words towards God, I trust that he will show you something new. Oh, Lord, as long as I am apart from you, I am self-satisfied because I have no standard by which to measure my low stature. But when I come near to you, there for the first time, I see myself. In your light, I behold my darkness. In your purity, I behold my corruption. My very confession of sin is the fruit of holiness. O divine man, let me gaze on you more and more until in the vision of your brightness, I loathe the sight of my impurity. Until in the blaze of that great glory, which human eye has not seen, I fall prostrate, blinded, broken, to rise again a new man in you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I hope you have an incredible week. We'll see you next weekend.